Welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm Matt Gentile alongside Drew Stevens. And, well, this was not the outcome we wanted. The Bulls in their last three games, 0-3 against the... Why am I blanking? (laughs) Well, okay, against the... Yeah, I know the Warriors and Kings. What was the game before that? Suns. Suns, thank you. Yeah, the total blowout. So, losses against the Suns the Warriors and the Kings. And look for this road trip. We said, Hey, you go three and three, that'd be fine. But they go two and four on this road trip. They dropped to nine and 14 on the season. You're just total kick to the groin for the Chicago Bulls. It is. And it's, you know, the losses to Phoenix and, and Golden State, maybe even to the Kings, you could kind of, you could kind of look at, prior to look at the schedule and say, okay, this is the game they probably won't get. It's the losses to the Thunder, you know, um, teams of that nature. Even earlier in the season, the um, the Spurs. Uh, maybe Washington. Even, you want to throw that in there. Even though they, they had been playing good earlier in the season, kind of tapered off since then. Um, there's one more team I'm blanking on. Washington. No, Washington is one more. They had a tough loss. But one of those games was like, ooh, they probably should have got that one. Washington, San Antonio. Why am I blanking on this? Um, oh, Orlando. Orlando. Yes. Oh, games gosh. of that nature. When, when, when they drop those type of games, those really hurt. Um, because it's almost as if, looking back from last season, when you're not able to compete as well with – the quote-unquote upper echelon of the Eastern Conference or just the league in general, and now you're able to get some of those wins, but then you lose some of these games where, on paper, you figure you should get them, it's almost like you take a step forward and you take a step back. Yeah. You're almost in the same spot that you would have been anyway. You know, on outside looking in, fans, observers alike say, okay, they're going to get these games here against equal or lesser competition and drop these against better. Instead, it's been the reverse, and you're just in that same spot. It's not really, it's not really helping you ahead any. Yeah, and it, it's that one step forward, two steps back, you know, expression that you hear a lot in sports. And I mean, look, we said in the last episode, and and I have a feeling this is going to be a repeated theme all throughout the season that, you know, this is what happens with teams that hover around that 500 mark. They kind of play up to the the higher level of competition and kind of slack off and play down to lower level of competition. And it's going to end up being a consistent theme. And Drew, you look at these next six against the Wizards, the Mavericks, the Hawks, and then the two against the Knicks that, as we point out, they're going to be hosting those. Um, This could be a make or break stretch. And it's weird to say that in December, but this could be a make or break stretch where they got to kind of come out of this above 500 in this stretch and it's it's not an easy task for them to do that's what's scary it's true and i think we could all agree that with this team and where they're playing the inconsistencies not only with their shot making but just in terms of their intensity level and attention to detail on defense especially you can't really count any wins, but they are seemingly going to get some breaks in here. Bradley Bill, I don't believe, is going to play Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, when they go against this Hawks team, Atlanta's going to be without DeJounte Murray and John Collins, possibly Trey Young. I know he didn't suit up um, mm-hmm. 
in their most recent game. Um, there's a whole bunch of hubbub made about that and him and Nate McMillan. So they, they, they're going to catch breaks. But even with that, like we just said, it's, it's, it's still a question of are they going to come out and really just put their foot on the gas from the jump ball to the final buzzer. Yeah, exactly. And I, part of me doesn't have that a confident feeling in it. Like, I, I feel like with the way the season's gone, it's like we're due for a letdown at some point in that stretch when you think it's lining up perfectly for them to maybe, you know, feast a little bit. Um, you know, you brought up something interesting on Twitter, and I, I want you to to share with our listeners the stat that you tweeted out uh, just about five or six hours ago. Um, about where the Bulls sit right now in terms of playoff playing and even being a bottom-feeding team. Yeah, so as of today, as we're recording here on Monday, December 5th, the Bulls are a game and a half back of a play-in tournament spot. They're three games back of a playoff spot and four, four and a half games back of what would be the worst record in basketball. So... The Bulls are nine and fourteen. Orlando right now is sitting at five and nineteen, um, as it stands today. That like it, it's just crazy to think. Like, you know, we we kind of talked about this leading into the season about that thin margin of error and just the way that the seedings in the Eastern Conference. When you look back to last season, how close things were from really being bottom end playing team or, or hovering on the playing mark to being in the middle of the Eastern conference playoff picture, like in the middle of a top, you know, five through seven, you know, like it, it was really tight. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised because we did see some other teams in the East get better. And it's just, I guess like there's, there's also just been the quality of play. And that's another thing that you tweeted out. Um, you know, a lot's been made about three-point shooting, and I think we could definitely agree it would have been nice to add maybe a, a, another piece or two that could have helped with that. But I think you made another good point, and I'll, I'll yield the floor to you on this one because I think it's it's a great point to be made that kind of speaks to a larger issue with the Bulls. Yeah, I just, you know, in thinking about this team, you know, of course it would help if they had some better shooting surrounding um, DeMar DeRozan and, and Nikola Vucevic, especially, I think Zach Levine, we can all say is, um, as of right now, this team's best catch and shoot threat. But I think the bigger problem with this roster is that instead of the stars, as in Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic propping up the rest of the team, the stars need the role players, the Javante Greens, Alex Caruso's, the Derrick Jones Juniors, Ayo DeSumo's, they need those guys to prop them up. So it's, it's kind of inverted in that sense. And I think that's part and parcel of the issue that this team is, is having, um, you know, this season. You know, even though we all know that Zach Levine is, is coming off this knee surgery and he wasn't able to play five on five and he's kind of late in terms of getting his, his rhythm together. Um, if we look back at a little bit of the – issues this team had the second half of last year and now coming into this season, there's just a, it's, it's so hard to make this thing work when your three best players, although they are very strong offensively, 
there's just a sizable gap in what they bring on the other sides of the court. Well, and it gets to this other argument, and I think you're 100% right, because we we talked about this in our last episode, too, and it's like kind of all of these different reports and stuff that we're going to get to in this episode have kind of poured more fuel on that, because we were talking about this, that the lack of energy that comes from from those three at times, it's very inconsistent. It's why Billy Donovan you know, called him out for wanting to see that more consistently because these are your three, you know, your three big dogs, your three alphas to, you know, steal a, a term that I'm sure a lot of Bulls fans don't like to hear um, <laughs> when it comes to, you know, three alphas. But it's true, though. Like, this, you need them to be playing at a high level every night and really bringing effort on both ends of the floor every night. And it kind of is interesting because we heard a, a report and it, it kind of all stems from a, a collection of reports. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit here. Um, so at the end of last week, we started hearing rumblings and it came off the heels of a Zach Lowe podcast where he mentioned that, you know, the Lakers might be interested in eyeing the situation in Chicago because they could try to make some type of deal to get DeMar DeRozan or Nikola Vucevic, or that the Bulls could be in basically a sell-off mode. But then, and, and you know, Adrian Wojnarowski during the, the Friday telecast of the Warriors-Bulls game had said, yeah, that it could be a situation that executives and teams around the league look to uh, as we get closer to the deadline if the Bulls go into a, a sell-off mode. Well, we then saw a report from Rick Buecher from Fox Sports saying, well, actually, hold up. Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan are deemed untouchable in the eyes of the Chicago Bulls. Now, guys like Zach Lowe, Adrian Wojnarowski, are some of the bigger names in the industry for um, NBA reporting. Rick Buecher kind of is a little hit or miss. There's always been like inconsistency with Rick Buecher over the years. Um, but I found that really interesting given what we're seeing. Like if, if that's the case, if DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine are untouchable, should they be untouchable in your eyes? Like, cause we're talking about them not bringing that effort consistently, especially on the defensive end. Right. And with this team, you might need a slight shakeup. So should they be untouchable? I'll ask you that Drew. Should they be untouchable? I don't think they should be untouchable um, just because of the way this this thing has gotten off and more so because of the news we got last week from Billy Donovan about Lonzo Ball and the way it seems as if he's not going to be on the court until after, you know, the all-star break, if at all, uh, this, this season. So I think that in order for this team – in order to keep the, the options open and the window ajar, however much they can, I think they need to at least field offers from other teams in terms of what they would be willing to give up um, to get Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan. Now, Zach can't be traded until, I believe, December 15th. Um, and I think if I were looking at those two in terms of who I'd be more apt to, to move in, it would probably be DeMar DeRozan. And my reason being there is uh, despite him still playing at a pretty high level these last two games aside, 
you know, he is getting older. And with him on his team, as much of a shot maker, tough shot maker as he is, he changes the whole shot pro profile of this team. And they just don't have the adequate shooters to complement what he does in the mid-range. And I think Zach Levine, because his game is more varied in terms of where he can get his points from, I think it would make more sense to shop DeMar DeRozan and see if you can bring in, you know, those types of players who can provide defense, provide shooting, um, while his, his value is still pretty high, especially considering that next season will be his last under contract with the Chicago Bulls. So that's kind of where I am right now. I'm not saying they need to move off of either one, but if I were looking to, again, keep the options open and kind of ride that middle road where you're not tanking, but you're not necessarily, you know, continuing to put the gas or mash the gas down. You you see what you can get for the road. Yeah, I, I think I'm in pretty much in lockstep with you on this. Like, I look at if I have both of them, I, I mean, maybe Zach is the closest to untouchable still in my eyes because he's younger. And to your point, more versatile offensively in terms of the profile he brings, right? Because he could score a little bit farther out more consistently than we know DeMar DeRozan can. You know, um, he gives you the ability to to shoot the three a little bit better. So, I mean, for that reason, and, you know, given his age, I feel like I'd be more apt to, to look and see what I could potentially get for DeMar DeRozan because you would think there could be teams that, are in contention or on the fringe of contending that might say, Hey, I I'm willing to make that play for a bigger name, you know, and try to bring in a, a guy that gives me a little bit of extra scoring pop. Right. So maybe you see what you can get for him. I, and that's what I'd be curious. What could a DeMar DeRozan fetch you at this point? Like um, we saw that, like the trade proposal that was thrown out there on the uh, Twitter sphere from uh, oh, Bill Simmons, of course, of all people. Um, who I, I just think sometimes he throws shit at the wall just to get reactions. But you know, his idea was dealing DeMar DeRozan and I think Nikola Vucevic for a for two first round draft picks that would be protected, and I think a little farther down the road. I want to say I gotta go back and look. Was it 2025 and 2027 or I believe seven it was, and nine? Uh 2027 and 2029. 20, okay. Yeah, and like this is the thing in the NBA, other than the whole Oklahoma City Thunder, I feel like most teams' first-round picks are not available for, like, five years. So, um, but it, they would be, like, top, I think, what was it, top three protected or top five, top four protected? And I'm sorry if I'm butchering these. I don't have it open. No, no, no. But, I, so, in, in Simmons's trade proposal, this particular one, the 2027 pick would be unprotected, and the okay. 2029 would be top five protected. Top five protected. Okay. So, like, and then you have to take on the contract of Russell Westbrook, which is kind of interesting, right? So, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's it's interesting to think about, and I'm not saying, like, I, I know, like, like, Russell Westbrook, he's still a, a solid player, but, I mean, there's 
there's a lot not to like about Russell Westbrook at this point in his career. Okay. Like, but maybe not a bad, like mini stop gap when Lonzo balls out. I'm just saying could potentially help you push the ball up the floor a little more. Maybe could compliment Zach just a little bit in the interim for just one year. Right. You only have one year of Russell Westbrook and you get first round draft capital. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Um, but you know, at that point, like, are you, are you bad enough? Because again, this is all about like, if you, if you really want to go into the tank, if you give up those two and you're netting two first round picks and Russell Westbrook, like, I don't know if that really does the scenario that you're painting, right? Like it, you kind of, are you staying competitive enough at that point or is, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. Are. I don't think you are. And I feel like, you know, given, even with, you know, Vucevic's struggles last year, his age, how much he might be looking to get paid. I don't feel like that's a balance. The the value there is a little like I feel like the Rosen can by himself. Maybe not. see, I'm I'm it's it's hard for me to really judge value, especially when you start throwing in draft picks. I don't know yeah. how it's supposed to match up, but I feel like the Rosen should his value should be still pretty high, and I don't. So is it? I, we have to look this up. So I'm going to pull up the uh, the old ESPN trade machine. So okay. I have a feeling part of that might be because of salary. Because I was about to throw a proposal. Like if you took Vooch out of it and it was just DeMar DeRozan and maybe, you know, Russ at one pick, is that good enough? But then I'm thinking, isn't Westbrook making close to $50 million? Yeah, I think you're – I want to say like something in the – like 44 million or something like that. Right. So it's, it's something like, you know, you're at that point trying to just probably balance out the salaries. And so that's probably where where Bill Simmons is pulling that like, Oh, well, in order to make the the money work and that's why you'd get two draft picks. But there's part of you that's thinking like, is that enough? And I don't, Oh yeah. I don't feel like it is because I don't see the bulls keeping Westbrook past this season if they were to make that trade. So then you're looking at, you just traded the Rose and the Vucevic basically for two picks that don't even convey until 2027 and 2029. Mm. And I don't think that's if, – if you were to do that, then you might as well just hit the kill switch on on your original vision for this team, I think. Um, that's, yeah. that would, in my eyes, I don't think that's a good enough trade uh, for the Bulls to make. Like you're so- basically – you're basically at that point – you're rebuilding, trying to get back to where you are now. <laughs> no, exactly. And and it is exactly a match when you do DeMar and Vooch. So that's exactly where Bill Simmons is pulling that from because okay. it's 27-3 for DeMar, 22 for Vooch, Russell Westbrook at 47. So right there, you, you hit the match. Mm-hmm. Now, what would be an attractive trade proposal for a guy like DeMar? Is it a pick and then maybe getting like, yeah, you know, I use the example of like a Jake Crowder and that's not a totally apples to apples, but are you looking maybe for like slightly younger three and D guy to come back? What would be attractive to you? I think ideally you'd want to, you want to get a pick and then somebody that can help who's closer to helping now than what, those two picks in that original trade scenario would would give you, because um, you you still want to, in my eyes, 
stay competitive. You don't want to just abort mission on, on what you've been putting together for the last 20 months if you were um, AK and, and Mark Eversley. I just... <laughs> Man, it's so... It's difficult because... You know, this kind of goes back to our discussion last week, too. You're at a point where you might have to just roll with this because if you try to go down the road of full-blown tanking, you literally would have to tear this down to the studs and hold out everybody on this roster from playing. You know, you'd have to hold out Zach from playing. You'd have to basically tell Lonzo, shut it down. You might have to even tell Kobe. You might have to trade Kobe White just to get him off your roster because you basically have to be so friggin' awful that you guarantee yourself a shot at a top four pick. Um, Mark, Mark Karen Zulis is with us that it's risky. I've seen him tweet about that. Like, yeah, go ahead, tear it all down to the studs and then give that pick to Orlando. How are you going to feel about that? that's, That's the thing. That's so as of today, basketball reference has the bulls, as having a 44.7% chance of making the playoffs as of today. Mm. Tankathon has the Bulls with having a 37.2% chance of landing a top four pick. But even if you get into that top four, let's say top three, even if you get into that top three range, because of the way the lottery odds are now, you're at 52.1% chance of landing that pick along with those other two teams in the top three. And I know that I'm not a big college basketball guy or draft guy these days, but I know we've heard about Scoot Henderson, but I think that the only generational player that's in this draft is Victor Wimbanyama and he's going mm-hmm. number one. So if you don't get Victor Wimbanyama, yeah, but you still, you still escape having to give Orlando a pick. Let's say you pick two, three or four. Are you still like how much better are you setting yourself up for? It's it's just a lot of a lot of ifs, man. A lot would have to break your way. And I feel like that's not being discussed enough. Like 52%, yeah, it's over 50%, but man, it's it's still like to me, maybe I'm maybe I'm a little gun shy. And you know me, I love to take risks on on proven assets, but (laughs) you know. I'm going to give you an idea that I had. Why, if you weren't the Bulls, would you try, knowing the situation you're in, to get a head start to see if you can pry Kevin Durant out of Brooklyn? I, I know. Am I crazy? Like, I don't why, why is this not being discussed enough? Like, wouldn't that be a better play for you if you're going all in? <laughs> I don't think you're crazy. I think that the issue is that the issue is what Minnesota gave up for Rudy Gobert. Now that's just messed up everything because, <laughs> because if Gobert is commanding that much in return, and, and and we saw that play out with Kevin Durant making that trade request, and then none of the teams he wanted to go to really being able to put together a, a, a proper deal for him. Some of that had to do with um, Aiden, you know, being signed, being uh, signed, and different things of that nature, but. I don't know that the Bulls have a package that the Nets would really even want to listen to. But to your point, you can't. It won't hurt to try, you know. Because it, it, the draft capital is what's going to kill it. But like, it also makes you think: what teams around the league can even try it? You know, it's it's hard because like, other than him doing a 
Oklahoma City reunion, it's going to be really hard mm-hmm. um, to try to pull off a you know a deal if you're any of these top teams. But you know, like a package centered around now. Now I'm starting to sound like you know Bill Simmons here. Like a package surrounded by like DeMar DeRozan, Patrick Williams, and then maybe a couple picks that you're kicking the can down the road on. Oh, man. Actually, no. You'd have to throw in one other additional player just based on salary. So if it's DeMar, Patrick, you know, you you'd probably have to throw in a random salary to make it work. But man, yeah, I mean, look, I, I know it's pie in the sky. Don't get me wrong. But it's something that I've thought about. Like if you're given where Brooklyn's at too, like, I don't know. It'd be something I'd be intrigued in, but yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's tough to pull off. I well it aware is, of that. And it's just like, if, if you're the Nets, if you're willing to pull the plug on the KD thing, you, you either have to get back some assortment of players that's going to keep you competing at a, at a level that's close to where you are now, or, some sort of prospect that has the promise of getting you back there, you know, or just being some uh, type of player that you can, yeah, not necessarily build around, but you know, it can be can set you up for the future. And I just don't think the Bulls have that package. You know, God bless Patrick Williams, but he's just not that type of prospect right now. Yeah, I think the the only young piece that maybe they would look at is they probably ask, okay, well, instead of Demar, can we get Zach Levine? And that would kind of throw this out of whack a little bit, um, just because, you know, as we said, the long term outlook, you'd rather probably have a guy like Zach in the fold than a Demar. But you know, again, this is this is Kevin Durant, who's you know a generational talent, but. Yes, I know. This is all pie in the sky. We probably should just move on. Um, <laughs> so, with but kind of going back to what we were saying about though, Demar Derozan and like, you know, how you would kind of maybe be open to the idea of, of training somebody like him. It gets into that discussion about about tanking, as we were saying, right? Like, I don't know if the full tank opportunity is there. So, like, how do you potentially? retool this team on the flyer aside from DeMar DeRozan are there other pieces that you would maybe look to as the calendar flips to the new year or you get close to the deadline that you would consider shopping um again aside from maybe one of those big three guys I mean the only ones that I could see you know giving you something worth worthwhile is Patrick Williams and Alex Caruso yeah because I'll do some of those contract is coming up. Um, Kobe White? I mean, he's so he's streaky. He is. He is. He is. Um, I don't know, man. He had those. Remember, we just talked about those couple games where he came up really big and um, was on the court in, in, in the clutch. But, man, he just is such, such a streaky shooter who doesn't really, you know, he gives you, he's been giving pretty good effort defensively, even calling guys out in terms of where they should be in, in rotation on defense, but it just still leaves a lot to be desired. And if you're not giving the one thing you're supposed to be giving on a consistent basis, then it's hard to really want to cough up something worthwhile. You got Mm. Lonzo Ball, but his value is so 
low and so volatile right now because nobody knows when he'll be back on the court. So that's just kind of in my mind, it just it has to be one of those one of those big three. And mm-hmm. you kind of have to take Vooch out of the equation, I think, because teams don't necessarily have to trade for him now because his contract is up and he can he can be had in the offseason. So you kind of have to move to Zach and Demar in my mind. In my mind. Yeah. I, and I, I guess it was sort of like my way of kind of teeing that up because you really look at it like if you do want to add even role players of note, you'd have to almost use DeMar as your sacrificial lamb to kind of like open the floodgates. And it's basically an addition by subtraction at that point, because, you know, we all know what he brings in terms of scoring output, right? Like we we can't deny that. And he gives you that level of, you know, keeping you in games when it's tight in the fourth quarter or, you know, taking you over the hump when you need to get it. But I mean, you just look at the way that this roster set up and it could use a little bit of a, I guess I would call it like a, a, a redundancy breaker, right? You need something that just maybe brings it back a little bit to maybe where this team would have been trending prior to the 2022 season right like where you kind of were seeing them adding you know vooch zach we all heard the lonzo ball rumors whatever that other piece was and i remember everybody at that time was saying of somebody that could bring a level of like three and d capability i know i bring that up a lot but it's it's what's lacking from this team right now so like now the other question is who's out there that can provide that you know, that's that's the other trick. Like, right. is there somebody that is going to be available? Because these guys are so valuable in the NBA. Exactly. Nobody's trying to come off of those type of players. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit to me saying that Zach is the guy that I would keep. Because you, okay, so you keep Zach, but now he's back to being your 1A. And we've seen that he still struggles with his basketball IQ and, um, when that comes into play, we're talking about like shot selection, playmaking, you know, turnovers, um, a consistent one-two defensively. Like that effort he gave against the Sacramento Kings on Sunday, that was great. And I don't know what I don't know how much of that was born from him seeing his shot fall down. So he was seeing his shot fall. So now it's like, oh, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to play defense. And it makes me wonder, I'm kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent, so bear with me. It makes me wonder, I think it was a couple of weeks ago when Billy Donovan was telling about talking about his team and how it needs to erase past players from their mind. They can't play with emotion. It has to play in the moment with without any regard to what happened that play before, regardless of whether your shot failed, whether you were fall or fouled or not. And it makes me wonder if he was really talking to talking to Zach, um, hmm. because we've seen Zach kind of getting this habit of of talking to the refs. And um, if you want to judge him on that Orlando game uh, in which he was benched, you know he wasn't really giving the team anything um, in that game where he was going one for, one for fourteen. But um, going back to my original point, just. You know, you put it back on Zach to be that guy, and then there's even still questions with that, um, just in terms of where he is in terms of his leadership and, um, I guess that dependability that 
this team kind of needs. Uh, I think this team needs an asshole too, man. Three and D would be great, but it needs a little. It needs something, man. A little punch, you know. Yeah, I. It's. It makes me also think. Like, do you remember last year around the around the deadline? Do you remember the big rumor that some Bulls fans and I'll be honest, I was one of them, scoffed at the idea of around the trade deadline last year. Was it DeMarcus Cousins? Not DeMarcus Cousins. I would have loved to have DeMarcus Cousins because I think he was getting like tossed around on 10 day contracts. But do you remember all the buzz about Jeremy Grant? Oh, yes. Oh, man. And and (laughs) now you're kind of, it's again, it's it's hindsight's 2020, right? But you're watching Jeremy Grant now and you're like, hmm, looking back on it, like that maybe could have been a little of that need that you're looking for. Like, Jeremy Grant, I'll give him this. You're going to get effort from him every night, at least. And it would have been interesting because I think the the proposed package, I think at the point last year was the idea of a, a Patrick Williams swap for Jeremy Grant. And, you know, at the time, it kind of comes back to this, this song and dance we do with, with Patrick Williams. It's like, why would you give up on Patrick Williams after, at that point, a year and a half, right? Yeah. And it's... It sucks. Like, again, like there's still things with Patrick you're hoping potentially can start turning a corner. But I mean, if I had the chance maybe to go back and do it again, yeah, I, I probably would would do it just because. At least with Jeremy Grant, too. I mean, how old is he? He's what in his 28, 27, 28. That sounds about right. Let me take a look here. So Jeremy Grant is. 28. 28 years old. old And I mean, you look at this recent stretch he's been on. I mean, he's had some big games. He's averaging right now 23 points a game. And, you know, you kind of wonder, like, would it have been a a worthwhile opportunity now, given where where this team's at? And it might have been your potential of making that extra move like that we're talking about now, like shipping out DeMar DeRozan to fetch more. Matt. Yeah. Do you want to guess what Jeremy Grant is shooting from behind the arc? Right now? Right now. Um, You know, <laughs> I thought I saw something the other day. He's like, is he somewhere in the 40s right now? He is shooting 46.1% on six attempts a game. That's crazy. It really is. I mean, and like, look, will he, will he sustain it that long? Maybe not, but I mean, should he, his career, he's about like a 36%. So, you know, he, he might be having like a, a you know, renaissance season and, and could be, you know, I, I, my guess is that's going to come down. But, you know, maybe it's a year where he shoots 42 or yeah. 41%. That's still really good. It so, is. yeah, it's um, it's interesting to think about. Like, if if I think if we inject truth serum in the in the Bulls fan base right now, would they want a, a do-over of that? Would they want a mulligan of, of that? I wonder if, if AK and Mark Eversley would want a do-over of that, looking back on it. I wonder if they want a do-over on everything, just <laughs> – <laughs> let's, let's 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 just restart this thing. Let's let's blow in the cartridge. Like you yes, hit the game. reset button. You know, I honestly think 
for them, the do-overs with Lonzo Ball. And it's unfortunate because I do think where this team was trending, if you go back last season, that early stretch before the calendar turned, you saw what he did. He was the straw that stirred the drink for this this whole team, mm-hmm. right? Gave you the defense you needed. Gave you the ability to push the ball up the floor. When he didn't have the ball in his hands, the ability to, to get open looks from three and knock them down consistently. Like, it was a it was a smart signing. We did not see this coming with awful knee issues. Like that's and and you're paying him twenty million a year, roughly, with that. So it's yeah, you do wonder if if that would be the do over and like I don't know. I mean, who back the back in the twenty twenty one off season? I'm trying to remember from those episodes who were some of those other point guards that were out there oh man i know i can pull it up too but yeah i can't even think of it off the top of my head i'm not where was there anybody of his ilk i'm not sure if anybody was because i think it was um you know a question at that point in time was do you keep tomas sadaransky and he was really kind of polarizing on the on the in terms of, of what the fan base felt about him so uh, yeah, I, I. You know what? Okay, I, I just pulled up a list here. Now it's all coming back to me. Dennis Schroeder. I remember that being one where, like, oh, Dennis Schroeder could come to the Bulls, and we were like, no, no effing way. Uh-huh. But at that point, Kyle Lowry was a name being floated around there. Mike Conley was being floated around. Um, and I remember, like, the, the Bulls were kind of like tied indirectly to all of them. Reggie Jackson was one. Um, I think another name that, that kind of got some intrigue from Bulls fans was, um, oh, why am I, I just blinked on it. Uh, TJ McConnell. That was one that like, you know, but I mean, everybody knew like there was that connection to Lonzo ball because of what we heard around the trade deadline that, you know, season before. So like Mm -hmm. we kind of all sensed it coming and I mean, Shit, literally the minute free agency opened, he had already committed, you know, and that's why they lost a second round pick. Um, but yeah, like it made perfect sense at the time. But yes, I'm, I'm sure if they were given the crystal ball, they, they probably would redo it. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, hindsight is, is 2020, man. You, you know, when you sign Lonzo Ball in hopes of him being your point guard in the future. Even though he had a, a you know, a injury history, you don't expect him to go down with a, a injury that looks like it's going to keep him out at least a year. It's, it's going to be over a year before he hits the court again. Um, crazy thing is, him and Zach hurt their knee in the same game. How how crazy is that, man? Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Um, yeah, I just with this this big three man with DeRozan and and Vucevic and Levine, they just you know they're not giving you enough offensively to to warrant mm-hmm. the experiment continuing to go on. Like they're only as a three man group, which can get a little noisy because you you know you're not accounting for the two guys on the court with them. But they're only at a, a 107.6 offensive rating. That's just not. You know, and they were at 112 last season. Yeah. So. It's 
You know, it's interesting because um, in the NBA, sometimes you you hear that motto of, you know, just just stack your team with with talented players and, and they'll they'll figure it out or, you know, you'll figure it out. This is where you learn, like you do have to have some level of cohesion or games that kind of match each other. Um, it kind of reminds me. Uh, so I'm a I'm a Cubs fan. So. I, you know, I don't think we've ever talked about this baseball wise in Chicago. Are you Sox Cubs? So I grew up a Sox fan and I just kind of, I left baseball together. I never really hated the Cubs, you hmm. know, um, but it's always been more of a Sox guy. So coming out of the 2016 world series, the one thing everybody kept saying about the Chicago Cubs lineup, all the key players on it were feast or famine, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Schwarber, you know, all these big names, they were all the same type of hitter. They were all mashers, right? And eventually, though, you needed to have somebody at the top of the lineup, like the, you know, the the guy that gets on base, a really good leadoff hitter. And that's one thing, like, the Cubs struggled with that. And it was because they had all this redundancy and they tried to make it work. And it just, after that World Series, it was just every time they get to a certain point in the year, they get stagnant. The playoffs, they get stagnant. Maybe that's what we're seeing here with the Bulls a little bit. A little bit of redundancy at times, right? Like, I kind of remember we talked a little bit about this when the season started. Like, in a way, even though, like, again, their games are not exactly the same, but sometimes their spacing on the floor and where they like to maybe get their points is somewhat similar with, like, Vooch and DeMar, right? Sometimes they Vooch operates nice high post or he did earlier in his career. Right. And then he's kind of been asked to kind of fit into traditional big man role or standing at the three point line a lot, right? Like offensively. And sometimes it's the same with, with Zach and DeMar. Sometimes they're bringing like similar skill sets to the table. I know we talked about the different shot profiles, but the way they like to operate with the ball in their hands. And I think like that's, the kind of redundancy you might see with these three. And it's like, be nice to have one player in there that kind of breaks it up a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's part of the importance of Lonzo Ball. He just, he made things fit so much better because he just, he just does things that the guys who are trying to fill his role can't do individually. Like collectively, <laughs> they still struggle with, but as an individual, they still can't quite get to what he is. Um, you know, like Dragic provides kind of that heady ball handling and decision-making. Um, and Ayo Dusumu, you know, gets downhill, gets to the rim. He was shooting pretty well from beyond the arc, um, but now that has kind of fallen off. But when you got Lonzo Ball, um, you know, who's a very – showed himself to be a very capable catch-and-shoot, three-point shooter. Ball didn't stick when he caught it. He got it in – and, and shot it ahead to somebody else. It's just you, you, you know, you you realize to your point about teams thinking that sometimes they can just put together a, a mismatch of talent and just shake it up and, and things are gonna work perfectly. To your point about that, like it just shows the value of certain role players and, and what they bring to a team. Um, and when you don't have the mega stars who can kind of erase the mistakes of the guys around them, whether it be offensively or defensively, 
things just always kind of on shaky ground. Absolutely. And, you know, it kind of brings me to this next question as we start to kind of wrap up here. Um, where do you think like this whole thing is heading? I know it's, it's a very broad question to kind of end this with, but do you think that this team is right now headed for a meltdown or do you think they're going to keep this roller coaster performance going where we're going to see hovering around 500 hovering around playing, maybe dropping out of the plan or can you see this completely nose diving into the ground at some point? So if they, you know, if Acme and Mark Eversley are content on trying to see this through and, and, not trading off any of the um, big players on the team, especially Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. I think we're just going to continue to see up and down play um, and inconsistent play because that's their three best players, you know, because they can't provide this team with the all-around play that it needs. It falls back on what can Javante Green bring you tonight? What can Alex Caruso give you tonight? Patrick Williams, Ayo Dosumo, and those guys are not in a position to give you consistent output every game. So that's why I think this thing slides back and forth the way it does. I think that, um, and this could just be, you know, this latest two and four stretch talking, but I think we're headed for someone getting moved. And then again, I think it's, it almost has to be DeMar DeRozan. I, I know the report that Rick Buecher came out with that we talked about earlier um, stated that the, the Bulls front office wasn't looking to, to move those two guys. They're untradeable. But something has to give, though. Mm. Something has to give. Because if you go into the offseason, now you have to make a decision on Vooch. And Vooch doesn't have to resign. You know, he's not beholden to this team. DeRozan, in the lame duck year, you know, teams don't have to trade for him necessarily. Although, because of his age, maybe teams will kind of say to hell with his expiring contract and do it anyway, um, depending on what he's still delivering on the court. But, yeah. I mean, something has to give, though. And it all it all comes back to Lonzo Ball and it not looking like he's going to be ready to play until after the trade deadline. Is there a... Uh... You know, I'm, this is a, an extra question I'll throw in because I said, is there an ideal player earlier that you'd love to get for DeMar DeRozan? But is there like somebody like wish list that you wish you could pry out of the situation right now? And it doesn't have to be like a superstar player. It could be a role player. Or is there somebody that you wish right now you could pry away from a team and say that player right now on the Chicago Bulls? We talked about Jeremy Grant earlier. Is there somebody like that? that maybe is in a situation that's again, kind of like the bulls where they're teetering or they're, they're a bottom feeding team that you could pull them out. The first person that came to my mind was Nikola Jokic. <laughs> well, that'd be, I mean, that'd be ph phenomenal. I, some that tells me that's not going to happen. Though. Yeah, no, nah, that's not going to happen. Um, I can't think of somebody off the top of my head. I know there's plenty to go around. Mm -hmm. um, for lack of having that answer for you right now, I was to say Lonzo Ball. Let, let me see what this looks like with Lonzo. Let me see what this continuity looks like with 
all the pieces that were supposed to be in play. Let me see what that yeah. looks like. Let me let me throw one name at you just to get your thoughts. So the team right now, as we sit here on December 5th, that's ahead of the Bulls in the standings is the Washington Wizards. Could I interest you in a Kyle Kuzma? Yes, you can. <laughs> it's and funny you say that. Can you get him? That's what I'd be intrigued by. It's funny you say that because I was when we started talking about the Rose and, and who might want him and what you could get for him, I started to say I wonder if Washington would be interested in maybe a package with him and Patrick Williams. But I don't, I don't know if Kuzma's been playing so well. I don't even know if that does it for them. I feel like the Wizards would make that move if they were like, you know, we're finally just going to blow this up because they've been kind of doing that whole, let's just keep this kind of on the level and status quo. You know what I mean? Like it, it seems like they've been the same team for the last three or four seasons. Yeah. And I wonder if there might be a feeling at some point to torpedo it. Um, and if they if they do look to torpedo it, and you know, again, the Bulls are sitting behind them, but the Bulls are in a totally different situation where they might feel like, hey, we gotta we gotta make a a run at this somehow. That's a name that I know. Even in the off season, there were like rubblings about maybe Kuzma getting moved, mm-hmm. and that was that be an interesting addition to me. Like you want to talk about a good two way player with, I mean, who's still relatively young too. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I definitely like that. It'd be a, a reunion of the uh, the Laker boys and him, Ball and, and Caruso. <laughs> no, I'm here for it, man. I just don't. I don't know what the Wizards would be. They kind of seem content just to be fighting for their play-in slash. No, actually, just play-in lives, really. Not even playoffs. Just you know that seven, eight, nine, ten is kind of where they seem to be content with. They're not looking to contend for a title, you know, the contract they just handed out to Bradley Bill, I think, says as much. You know, they mm-hmm. kind of just are cool where they are. Yeah. From a- it, it's it's interesting. Like it, that's that's the player that I if if all things were equal, like I think that would be an interesting addition to the Chicago Bulls. So like I guess I just keep an eye on what happens in Washington. If they keep falling back maybe and at some point the Bulls overtake them maybe that becomes an opportunity if they do indeed look to hit the reset button. Just saying, you know, be, I think that'd be a kind of like an ideal match there. Um, Let's, let's do our usual, you know, saturate of going through the next five games of the schedule. Um, So again, facing Kyle Kuzma and those Washington wizards on Wednesday, the seventh at home. And then at home Saturday, December 10th against the Mavericks. I'm, you know, hey, it's always fun to see Luca, but I have a bad feeling about that game. Um, Bulls against the Hawks uh, in Atlanta on Sunday. And then on December 14th and 15th, home against the Knicks, or uh, 14th and 16th, home against the Knicks. Um, a very interesting situation there. Like the, we talked about that a, a couple of episodes ago, I think about, you know, playing back to back at home against the same opponent. Um, what's your thoughts though, with that, with that stretch, are you optimistic? You think they're turning the corner? Huh? huh? <laughs> I won't say yeah. turn the corner, but I'll say leveling out a little bit. I think 
I don't think they. I don't think they'll beat New York back to back nights. So I, I think they can go three and five during that stretch with wins against Washington, Atlanta, and New York. Okay, three and two in that stretch. Three, three out of five. Three and two. Three and okay. two in that stretch. Yes, I'm sorry. I. Yeah, I, I see three and two also in that stretch. Like I, I do have a feeling the home cooking is going to help a little bit. Yeah. So I think getting their footing at home a little bit because, like, right now I think if we look at their record this year, they're eight and six at home. So are wait, no, they're not. Sorry, I read that wrong. They're eight and six in the conference. They're five and five at home. Five and five. God, the hell are you doing, Bulls? Five and five at home. So. I was going to say maybe getting some home cooking, but pff, never mind. <laughs> I remember there used to be a stat about when you would come home for your first game back from a road trip that sometimes usually could result in a loss or a very tight win. But given the gap between last game they played against Sacramento and this game against the Wizards Wednesday, I feel like that's got to be your get right game. If that's not a get right game, then then like, what are we doing? I like to me, you have to have that game. Like we were saying to start the show, like this seems like an important stretch. And I feel like that's definitely a game you have to have in this stretch is against Washington. You know, what's funny is I feel like you and I have talked about how the bulls are getting ready to hit an important stretch. Like every, almost every episode. Like I think that just says a lot about this team and the position they're in. hundred percent. Um, and I've heard that on multiple, you know, Bulls podcasts, sports radio, that you shouldn't be having the discussion about, you know, crucial games, crucial stretches this early in the season. But with the way that the schedule shake, you know, shook out and the way that the Bulls have just been so inconsistent, mm-hmm. it's made these stretches more than probably what they need to be. So, you know, hey, until you change the narrative, this is how I guess it's going to be all season long. So. It's, it's, it's such a weird season, man. Basketball reference has the Bulls expected win-loss to this point at, as 11 and 12. Hmm. 9 and 14. So they're two, two wins under that total. And it's just, again, I, I don't know how many of us had this team above 500 to this point. And they've beaten really good teams or teams that we expect to, to be competing for if not championships, Eastern Conference Finals in the Miamis and the Bostons mm-hmm. and the Milwaukee's of the world, even the Nets um, getting the win in Brooklyn when Zach went off for 20 in the fourth quarter, I believe it was. It's just the waxing and waning of the effort levels against the Nuggets and the Cavaliers. Yeah. And well, it's the disappointment in that, I think, that, that most of us are um, kind of shaking our head at with this team than, than, necessi- than just the record. How bulls would it be if in this five-game stretch they drop one at home to the Wizards, beat the Mavericks, go on the road, beat the Hawks, and then drop two to the Knicks at home? That would be that would be this season in a nutshell. Perfectly. Really- Even though, like, and look, the Knicks are ahead of them. The Knicks, I think they have a winning record right now. But I think the no, 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 they're not. They're 11 and 13. 11 and 13. So, okay. so I think the last update I had seen was before their last few games. But I mean, that would be the ultimate 
Bulls season right there is, you know, you get you get the Hawks and you beat them or you get the, you know, the Mavericks and maybe it's a game where Luke is going off, but, you know, DeRozan and Zach rise to the level of competition and, and you know, want to go toe to toe with them. That would be exactly I, wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah. Wouldn't shock me at all if that happens. It's just, it's, a, it's fascinating, man. We talked about this with Will Gottlieb from CHGO Bulls a couple of weeks ago. Like, what is that point? Or is there a certain number of games under 500 where AK, AK and Mark Eversley are like, all right. <laughs> yeah. It's time. And I, and I got to believe that those two guys are smart enough to communicate about several different scenarios. Like they, I would hope they've already had kind of conversations about, hey, man, if things start to go this direction, you know, it's time for us to do this, that, or the third. And I got to believe that at some point, yeah, you know, and it all comes back to Lonzo Ball on his knee and not being able to see this team the way it was, it was intended to be. Yeah, exactly. And, and look, some of the best teams course correct, and they do it quickly and swiftly. And, you know, like we're kind of impatient right now, but it is only like 23 games into the season. So, like, if they're making these moves after – the 30 game mark or, you know, the 35 game mark and saying, all right, now it's, now we got to do something like that's what sometimes these good teams do. And um, it's also, I think it says a lot when you're ready to course correct after testing out the roster construction of getting the best collection of veterans available, right? Like the most talented, you know, groupings and saying, Hey, everybody, you go figure it out. Well, they tried and it didn't work, Um, especially without Lonzo Ball in the lineup. You got to be able to, you know, change things now in in case you don't get him back this year. Yeah, and it's just the course correction with this team would mean that we're seeing things from players that we've never seen before, like Zach DeMar and, and, and Vucevic playing with a certain intensity level of commitment on the defensive end in Zach's case, playing with a certain headiness offensively and, and not necessarily hunting shots here and there, which, mm-hmm. again, superstar well, or star, star players are going to do that because that's that's just in their DNA and their makeup, and they've been getting carte blanche to do that at times. But the course correction just, again, it, it just feels like it's not – It's not. There, there really is no – there is no course correction because you're, well, you're asking players to play – out of their bodies in terms of what we've seen to this point in their careers. So what I'm saying by course correction is AK and Mark Eversley course correcting by shipping people out. That that's what I mean by course correction there. So yeah, to be clear, I think it would be AK and Mark Eversley saying this collection of talent didn't work. And now we have to take an L and make those corrections by doing the addition by subtraction, essentially. So and again, like the best probably they could do is role player level talent and draft capital, mm-hmm. you know, just given DeMar's age and contract situation. And if, if Vucevic was the the sacrificial lamb, I don't know what you you'd get for that. So like it might just be adding draft capital at that point. Um, and also, I believe the other thing that 
is working in the Bulls' favor. And again, as we wrap up here, you know, Portland Trailblazers right now sit in the eighth seed in the West. Now, again, it's very early in the season, but they get into the playoffs. That pick conveys to the Bulls. Yes, it does. So it's another first round pick in your arsenal, potentially. Um, so if you're adding, you know, another pick from another trade, I mean, these probably are not going to be lottery picks. They're going to be outside the lottery, but you'll have a collection of first round picks yep. that as we start talking about, you know, maybe other types of trades that need to be made. I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's better to have some, some uh, assets in your, in your cupboard, right? Than nothing at all. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. So, all right. So again, to recap, we're both saying three and two in the in this next five game stretch, but you know, probably expect craziness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll be unconventional, probably how it happens. <laughs> That's the way it's been so far this season. Well, we'll we'll definitely see. We'll definitely see what happens with that. Um, any just quick final thoughts, just everything going on here. I know we we kind of covered a lot, but any anything to wrap up with? I just want to see how, especially this next game on Wednesday against Washington at home, how this team looks, and particularly how DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine look, because in Casey Johnson's write-up of the game they just played against the Kings on Sunday, he talked about how when reporters got into the locker room, Zach and DeMar were sitting next to each other talking, hmm. seemingly about issues that are going on, how that how they how they can be better, how the team can be better. So I want to see what's going to come of that. Is it going to be an immediate response from not only them but the team at large um, in terms of effort, intensity, attention to detail, all things we talked about? If they come out with a more inspired effort, even if it's against uh, uh, skeleton crew Washington Wizards uh, team, you got to get this win. You got to. Absolutely. And like we were saying, like, it's a shame, but the stretch seems to be important. And, you know, you get it against Washington, then at least get to your breathing room. It's steal the football cliche. You got to take it game by game, play by play. And it's, you know, it sucks to kind of live in that mindset, but it is what it is with where this team's at. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at mgenteel 88 Drew is at look what Drew did uh, rebuildable. You can follow us there at rebuild underscore a underscore bold. That's where you can find links to our latest episodes. Of course, we're on all the major streaming platforms, right? Spotify, Apple podcasts, uh, Google podcasts, Apple one. I don't know. Wait, wait, there's the one I used to always make fun of. It's um, tune in. Do you remember the tune in radio app? Uh-uh, uh-uh. This old, this was like the old school, <laughs> like oh, you can get an aggregate of all the different radio stations and podcasts. And that was one of the first things when I joined our hosting service. I did all that, all those, and tune in. And I'm like, man, I didn't even know this still existed. So you can find us there too. Um, also, TikTok. I'm starting to play around with it. I'm I'm starting to cut up some videos. We're gonna have more of that out there. It'll be kind of a good preview if you're looking for you know, just like a sneak peek into different episodes or get some samples of some of the things we're talking about and see our lovely faces could scare you depending when you see my face, Drew's face, you'll be very pleased. My I don't face know, man. Much. I, I got to get this, this hair braided and tended to. I don't know. It's a lot happening. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I mean, you, you'll get to see my beard. That's oh, what yeah. they can see with mine. Yeah, this this manicured beard. That's, that's magnificent. Yeah. It's, well, you know, I've been told that. Salim Sir Wallace said that once on an episode. So <laughs> flatter me for sure. Um, He's a smart man, a humble, a humble man. Oh. That's a very smart man. Shout out to Salim Sutarala <laughs> and shout out to Edward Schurler and, and Bulls Gold. They're always doing great work. Again, alongside Drew Stevens, I'm Matt Gentile. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.